Now, before we study this passage together, I want to give you a reason as to why this passage is important for us this morning. As Christians, we often experience two conflicting forces, and I'm putting those in air quotes. Those forces are belief and unbelief. It's possible to experience both belief and unbelief at the same time. And unbelief can seem like a blaring loudspeaker in our souls. But we need to know that we can still live by belief even though unbelief is present. Let me give you a silly illustration and then more of a relevant spiritual illustration to both belief and unbelief. When you were a young child, your parents probably tucked you in at night. On one hand, you believed you were safe in your house. You were told that all things would be okay. On the other hand, you went to bed and thought to yourself, what if, what if the monsters come out from underneath my bed? What if mom and dad are actually sitting down the hall in the kitchen and they're monsters too? They take off their masks after night time and they catch up on the day with each other. And then you would say, now snap out of it. That's not true. Mom and dad are not monsters. But why do I feel like they are sometimes? Two beliefs. On the one hand, you know that they're mom and dad. On the other hand, you're thinking, but what about? Why is that kind of whispering or blaring in my mind? Okay, a more serious one. Crisis in your life can bring you to this dual presence where belief and unbelief is present at the same time. For most, if not all, who are Christians in this room, you have had, at one point, doubts about your salvation. On one hand, you're saying, I believe that God is real. I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus came, lived a perfect life of obedience, took the punishment that I deserve for my sin and offers his life as a gift to me, that obedient life. But on the other hand, I can't see it. I can't see the cross. I can't see Jesus in the flesh. I can't see God in heaven. I can't see justification. I can't see any of it. And so there is this voice over here that says, it's not real. The only things that are real are those that are observable, measurable, repeatable, and you can't see heaven right now. Maybe religion is a crutch that man has made up in order to comfort himself concerning guilt and even death. And so you've got these two voices that are going back and forth. Belief, no, I believe this, and I don't want to abandon this because if I find myself fully sitting in this pocket of unbelief, I think I'd be scared if that is true. You know, you've felt that dual presence before. To set the context for this passage, let's remember where we've been in the book of Mark. Jesus has just taken his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain where Jesus was transfigured. Uh, The text says that his clothes became dazzling white. His face shone brightly. Moses and Elijah, two prophets from the Old Testament, one representing the law, the other representing the prophets, were there. They They were heroes of the Old Testament. And so these three men are there with Jesus. And in the middle of that epic event, Jesus, or Peter sticks his foot in his mouth 
And he says, hey, let's build three monuments, one for you, Jesus, one for, you, for uh, Moses, and one for Elijah, as though all three of those men were the same. And right then, a voice from heaven cleared the air and said, no, 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 this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He's to be exalted. He's the one whom your attention is to be on. And so they're coming down from that event and you can imagine the excitement that Peter, James, and John have had because Jesus has just been transfigured. Another miraculous event has taken place and they've heard God from heaven speak and affirm that this is the Messiah. This is the Son from heaven, the Son of God. And so here we come down to the bottom of the mountain where a man is struggling with this dual presence of belief and unbelief. So the big idea as we move through our sermon this morning is this. Believe in Jesus even when the voices of unbelief are present. Believe in Jesus even when the voices of unbelief are present. Now for the sermon outline, I'm just going to give you three words that will be handles for us this morning. Three words that will follow. The first word is Jesus. That's point number one. The second word is believe. That's point number two. And then the third is prayer. Okay, so point number one. Let's focus on Jesus for a few moments. Okay, you can imagine the thrill that was both in Jesus's heart and the disciples' hearts as they came down from the mountain. Um, it's been approximately two years that these disciples have been following Jesus. They've heard his teachings. They've seen his miracles along the way. And they've even come to this point where they have confessed, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, even the Son of God. Now, they have spoken that with their words, and this is all very new. It's growing in their hearts, this truth about who Jesus is. They're, they're discovering more and more as Jesus communicates to them who he is. And then Jesus takes them up on this mountain, and this voice from heaven speaks to reinforce what they've been believing. This is the Christ whom we've been waiting for. I mean, out of the cloud that surrounded the mountain, this voice speaks and says, he is the son of God. What you are believing is true. Listen to him. And you can imagine if you're with Jesus coming down the mountain, just saying this, I mean, the, the miracles have been awesome to watch, but this was an, a whole nother thing. Jesus was actually transfigured and these two prophets from the Old Testament were there with us. This is amazing. Remember, Jesus had sworn them to secrecy, not to say anything until after the resurrection. So they are welling up with excitement over what they have seen as they come down from the mountain. Luke's gospel says it's the next day that they come down. So let's say they were up there overnight. They come down, and at the base of the mountain... We're told that there is a crowd and there is an argument that is happening in the crowd. We see the two parties that are arguing. It's the disciples 
and a religious group of people called the scribes. And the scribes would have been observable by the outfits, the religious outfits that they wear. Maybe a way of saying it today is that I was, we were with the family for a few days this last week. We went up to St. Ignace. And then one day we hopped over to the uh, island, and uh, Mackinac Island, and as we were biking around, I noticed a guy walking around in black with a silver collar. Okay, religious attire identifies that guy as a priest in Anglican or Catholic denomination or Episcopalian. All right, so there's that religious garb. So the disciples are here, Jesus' followers, the nine that didn't go up on the mountain, and they're arguing with an elite group of religious leaders, the scribes. The scribes are very important. And Jesus comes down from the mountain. There's a crowd that's surrounding them. So Jesus walks up to the crowd and asks somebody, what are they arguing about? Well, one man comes forward and says this. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you. Now, why did he bring his son to Jesus? For he has a spirit, and the spirit is a spirit that makes him mute. He's not able to talk. His son is not able to talk. And sometimes this spirit, which we've seen is the equivalent to demon, this demon seizes the child and throws him down to the ground. And when he's down on the ground, he's foaming at the mouth and he's grinding his teeth and he becomes rigid. But Jesus was away at the top of the mountain. So this man, instead of finding Jesus, he went to the disciples, the other nine that were down there, and asked them, can you cast out the demon that is in my son? And they tried, but they couldn't do it. Now, some might be standing back here and say, well, wait a second. You know, I'm just connecting some dots in my mind right now. I see the characteristics that are going on with this young boy, and that sounds like epilepsy. So was Jesus and the disciples confused about this whole thing? And was this whole thing a sham that Jesus is going around saying he can cure people, and actually it's epilepsy? No, the demon is manifesting itself with these conditions, and we'll see later on that the demon intentionally is throwing this child near the fire into the water, trying to take his life. So this desperate father brings his son, can't find Jesus. Hey, here are Jesus' disciples. Can you cast this demon out? And they can't do it. Their inability to cast the demon out, to fix the challenge in this man's life, more than likely results in this argument with the scribes. The scribes are probably there. Hey, easy shot. If you dudes can't cast out this demon in the name of your leader, why should these crowds be following you or your leader? That's probably where the whole argument went. But there's something to be noted here. We see the man say at the end of his statement in verse 18, they were not able. They didn't have the power within themselves to be able to fix this man's challenge. And this is kind of a mental stop for us because earlier in the book of Mark, Jesus had sent his disciples out 
And his disciples had a mission to go out and preach the message of repentance. And along the way, he gave them the power to cast out demons and heal people. And so they came back to Jesus and they say, hey, we saw all kinds of amazing things. We were casting out demons and healing people and the message of repentance was going forward. So the question is, why did they not have the power to do this now? That's why we're, what we're thinking, at least, because we saw that in chapter 6 that they were able to do this. Why is it that these disciples right now were not able to do what they were able to do previously? Well, verse 19 gives us an answer. Jesus responds and says, oh, faithless generation. And while I think that that statement can be characterizing all who are there, I think it's very much characterizing the disciples. I think he's talking to those nine. The disciples at the base of the mountain had not been moving towards the Lord in their hearts with this particular challenge. Perhaps they had taken the miracles for granted. We can get through this one on our own. We did it before. We've got the power to do this. As you face challenges in life, do you find your heart moving towards what you've been able to do in the past and assuming now that you can do it in your own strength? Or do you see your heart repeatedly coming back over and over again to our Savior? Do you see your heart leaning into Jesus saying, okay, God, you brought me through that challenge and it was your strength that brought me through that relational conflict before. It was your strength that brought me through that trial before. It was your strength that brought me through that dark time in my life before. And now I need your strength again, or do we go to default mode of, I went through it before, so this time I'll be okay. I can do it in my own strength. As Christians, over and over again, we have to realize we are not able. That characterizes us. Our strength does not come from us to walk in obedience to the Lord. It does not come from us. After the Jews had come through the Red Sea, Moses recounts what had just happened in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. And he says, the Lord is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. It's God who is our strength. Then Psalm 28, verses 7 and 8. The Lord is my strength and my shield. And because he is, in him my heart trusts, and I am helped by him. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. Folks, I want you to remember this week that as the trials and challenges come, we're like the disciples where if we are not focused on the Lord, we are not able. We cannot. R.C. Sproul said it this way, how common it is for the followers of Jesus to be powerless when Christ is absent. That that's where our hearts are so many times. And this has huge implications for us as a church family. We ultimately cannot fix one another. Somebody comes to you with a challenge, you can't fix them. We believe that by faith in Jesus Christ, as our Messiah, God gives us, through the Spirit, His strength to go through the ups and downs of life, to go through the trials, to go through the family crisis. We don't have that strength in and of ourselves. You might be one of those people that's like, I can pick myself up, I can go through it, 
But eventually God is going to bring you to that point where you'll hit the wall and it will crush you. Our strength is only found in God. Therefore, as disciples of Jesus, we're at the base of the mountain. And how we conduct ourselves is that we bear one another's burdens. Here comes a person with a struggle. We bear one another's burdens and we encourage one another, not by saying or thinking, I've got the magic formula to fix you. I can help. But by pointing our fellow brothers and sisters to Christ. Let me just illustrate it this way. If somebody comes to you and is saying, I'm dying. You say, what are you dying of? I'm dying of dehydration. Well, there's only one solution to that person's dehydration. You don't say to that person, well, let me tell you how to think better about yourself. You don't tell them, you know, it could be worse. There are others who are experiencing worse dehydration, so think about that. You don't say, you need to have better thoughts about yourself right now, and you know, if you do, your parched throat will go away. Have a chipper attitude. You know, pull yourself up and just move on with life. You don't do that. With someone who's dehydrated, you say, let me point you to the glass of water. Let me point you to the faucet. Let me point you to the place where your thirst can be quenched, where your body can be satisfied, where you'll receive what you need. I can't give you what you need. This glass of water can. The ultimate answer for working through suffering and challenges in life with one another is for us to point each other to Jesus. So maybe you can think about it this way. A person is struggling and hurting and you see them like the lame man on the road. And you can cross over, you can walk over to the other side and ignore them. I don't have what's in me to fix them. That's true, you don't. Or you can pick them up and you can put their arm around your shoulder and you can put your arm around their side and you can say, we're walking together towards him. He's our strength right now. That's where we need to go because we are not able. So you hear something in verse 19 from Jesus' words that we need to hear. There is an act of faithlessness when we turn to ourselves. That's how Jesus characterizes the situation. This is a faithless generation, a faithless moment, a moment where people have taken their eyes off of me and are looking at themselves. And then you hear Jesus's frustration. It's really strange as you saturate yourself in verse 19, where he says, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And it kind of hurts to hear that because if we put ourselves in the story, If we're the disciples, we hear Jesus saying that to us. We hear a frustration with us that we're not looking to Jesus as we should. I think it's okay for us to know that we can grieve the Spirit by our sin. We can grieve God by our faithlessness. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't stay there. His frustration does not result in what we tend to do. Our frustration often results in separation. But notice what his frustration results in. What's the next words? How long am I to bear with you? He doesn't move away from the people. What does he do? 
He says, bring him to me. Here's Jesus in his compassion now, moving toward the issue, allowing suffering to come to him. God wants you to come to him with your hurts, your pains. We ought to bring one another to God with our hurts and our pains. Philippians 4, 6. When it comes to anxiety, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, move towards God. Let your requests be made known to him. 1 Peter chapter 5. You can see God saying, cast your anxieties upon me because I care for you. Bring your hurts. Bring your pain, bring your sin, bring your burdens to Jesus. He wants you to come near him. This is where we move to the second word, the second point, and that is the word believe. They bring the child to Jesus. A new twist occurs in the story. It says in verse 20 that when the spirit that's in the child sees Jesus, Immediately, it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Okay, so notice what has happened. Mark's including all of these details for us. The child is brought to Jesus, and when the child is brought to Jesus, chaos starts. Why is there chaos in this moment? The chaos starts because the demon is in conflict now with Jesus. And this is going to happen in your life. The presence of Jesus in your life will cause a conflict with sin. Because you cannot serve two masters. If you are following the pathway of sin, and you try to bring Jesus into your life, you are going to have a war that happens because you're either going to bow the knee to sin or you're going to bow the knee to Jesus. In this meantime, there's a conflict that takes place because when repentance happens, it's because we're following one master and here's Jesus saying, are you going to follow me? Yes! And now I'm following, but here's this moment of in-between, this tearing that takes place. I'm caught in the middle. And here's what's taking place with this child. The demon is rising up. I don't want to give this kid up. He's mine. And in verse 21, Jesus asks a question to the father. How long has this been happening? Now, remember the frustration earlier? You see Jesus' compassion moving forward. Bring him to me. Bring him close to me. Dad, how long has this been going on? And the dad responds, from childhood. It has often cast him into fire and into water in order to destroy him. And here's where the breakthrough happens. The man says, notice what he says in verse 22. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The man simply wants compassion. The man simply wants mercy. We talked about that word splachnizomai, that inner, inner kind of response to what's taking place. That's what the man wants. But notice his dilemma there. Those three words, if you can. In other words, the man knows that Jesus cares for him. The man knows that Jesus has mercy. The man knows that Jesus wants to see something happen here, but the man is showing all his cards when he makes the statement, Jesus, if you can, I'm not convinced. I'm not fully assured that you have the ability 
to bring us through this. And this gets to the heart of the story, where it's not really about the demon. It's not even about the boy. It's about whether or not the dad believes that Jesus can. Whether or not God can bring him through this trial. Now, we've seen in Mark's gospel that Mark is propping up Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the one who rules over creation. We saw him calm the sea. He rules over diseases. He can take leprosy away. We've seen him ruling over demons. And again, here's another opportunity for us to see this is the supremacy of Jesus. We're going to see him be exalted, but we're the dad right now. We're coming to Jesus with belief and unbelief. Our faith is shaky. We're wondering, God, can, will you, will you bring us through this? To which Jesus responds to the man in verse 23 by repeating his words so that he could hear what he just said. If you can, the man comes to Jesus, have mercy on us. If you can, and Jesus responds, did you hear what you just said? If you can, you're talking to the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says this. I want you to know that all things are possible for one who believes. Now be careful how you read scripture because that verse has been twisted into so many bad theologies. So many crazy wild teachings have come out of that. Name it, claim it kind of stuff. Only believe and now it will happen. How are we supposed to understand this? One author wrote it this way. The point is not, of course that with enough faith you can do anything. It's rather that God has the power to do anything. It is not the amount of faith that is important, it is the object of that faith that is important. So here's the man, and Jesus is drawing him out, and he's wondering, am I going to, the man, am I going to believe Jesus fully? And Jesus just keeps pulling him along. Do you hear what you just said? Is your faith fully resting in me? It's as though Jesus is saying, if you are placing your faith in me, if it's directed in me, this can be done. I can if you believe. So here's the man. He's been brought to Jesus with his son. And here is the cry that he responds with, with the challenge that he has in life. You see, in verse 24, he hears Jesus' words. All things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible. Are you laying your faith, belief, are you latching it on to me? And the man responds in verse 24 with complete openness and vulnerability. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I do believe. Like, I believe in who you are. It's in my heart. But here's the dual presence. Help my unbelief. And I mean, with that statement, he just lays out the cards of what is happening in our lives maybe every day. God, I believe in you. I wouldn't say that I don't believe in you. But at the same time, I have this conflicting part of me that must be, is, unbelief. So God, help me in my unbelief. 
In our hearts, we can believe that God is strong enough. We can believe that he can do anything. So then what is this thing that's happening with unbelief? It's the part of our lives where we say, I don't know if I can trust you to be enough for this situation. I don't know if I can trust you to be enough for me when I don't get what I want. I don't want, I don't want to be hurt, God. And if I step out in faith, I'm not sure whether or not I'll be hurt. So there is this challenge that we all have to recognize here. Belief is often accompanied by unbelief. And if you've been wrestling with things in your life, like doubting salvation, here's what Satan loves to do. Satan loves to say, well, if you have this presence of unbelief in your heart right now that is struggling with whether or not you're saved, it must mean that you have no belief at all. Do you see that? That's where fears come in. Well, if I don't have this completely like taken away from my heart, then I must not have any belief at all. Keep in mind Romans chapter 8. We are not yet fully glorified. We struggle with sin. We struggle with the effects of sin. And so our response now is, am I going to lean into what I believe to be true and walk by faith? Or am I going to respond to the emotions and feelings of unbelief? Belief, I'll just say a couple things about belief. Belief is not something that we create in ourselves. No one has ever been able to wave a magic wand for themselves and create belief in your heart. You just can't do that. How does faith come to us? How does belief come to us? The Bible says that faith, belief, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It comes by looking at the scriptures, studying the scriptures, seeing God for who he is, and as you see God for who he is, your belief grows. You can think of it this way. There's a great bridge that's going across a canyon. And you look at that bridge, and you ask yourself the question, I don't know that that bridge can hold me. So what should you do? you should step back from the canyon and start studying the structural integrity of the bridge. And as you study the structural integrity of the bridge, you say, oh, I see the cables are attached this way. I see that all of the beams are sound. I see that this thing spans and has all the supports that are necessary. And what happens? As you study and look at the bridge, you find that in your heart, you're like, I can put my foot on this because I believe. Did you do that in your heart? No, it was by stepping back and seeing what this bridge is all about. The bridge gave you faith. When it comes to faith in God, you can't wave the magic wand and say, now I'm conjuring up belief, I have it. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So to have more faith would be to look at God through the scriptures, to hear him speak to us to study out who he is. And as we see him and the gospel more and more, we're saying, yes, yes, that is so true. I step onto this and this is firm for me. That's where belief comes from. 
So Hebrews 11 says, whoever draws near to God, whoever is moving towards him, must believe, must have faith that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so faith is going to move us closer and closer to him. Even when unbelief is present, we move closer. So again, we live with this tension in our lives. For some of you, it goes deep. For some of you, it's a challenge in life that results in sickness or is a sickness. For some of you, it's a spiritual matter. For some of you, it's doubt. For me, I've, I've shared this over the past, so I don't want to sound like a broken record. A lot of times on Mondays, Mondays is I'm coming off of Sundays, and I'm looking back at the day, and I'm thinking, oh, man, Lord, do I trust you with the church? What, what am I supposed to do differently? And I can start focusing on myself and seeing myself rather than studying and focusing and trusting the bigness of God. When we struggle with unbelief, we have to turn our gaze to Jesus and fix our attention on him. I believe, help my unbelief. He's going to the person who can help him with his unbelief. So verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, so there were the disciples and the scribes. He's talking to the man. People are walking over to him closer and closer. What does Jesus do? He rises up and we see him as Mark has been portraying him to us. So verse 25, when Jesus saw that the crowd came running, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. This is who Jesus is. He commands the spirits. He has power over the demonic realm. And... Verse 26, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Here's Jesus going through this whole process and showing the man that he can believe in him. Are you believing by bringing your challenges to Jesus and trusting him. I heard a testimony of God's work in a man's life this last week. A man was involved in sales. That was his role. He was one of the best at his company in the state, multi-million dollar company that he had worked for, and the company started doing unethical things. The man said, I can't do that anymore. And the company responded, after all of his years of work, okay, you no longer work here. So here is the challenge. Am I going to live as a Christian and walk in obedience and say, I believe you, Lord, no matter what might happen? Or am I going to say, God, you can't handle this, so I'm going to live in unbelief and I have to take matters into my own hands? The guy said, okay, I, I can't do it anymore. In the meantime, while he's losing his income, a family crisis happens in the extended family where his attention is needed for this crisis to help out. And so the challenges are growing and growing in the family. He needs a job all at the same time. And while this is all coming down, the feeling is, God, I'm hurt. 
I'm angry and I believe you all at the same time, but this is just hard. Like, so many things that I don't see coming together, and there's these whispers of unbelief. Then God opened up a job for him out of seemingly nowhere, had the flexibility for this guy to do his work, to get an income, and at the same time have the flexibility to help out with the ongoing crisis with the extended family, to help out in such a way where his job and sales never would have allowed him to do it. He never saw this happening, and the end result was, he says, God, you can. You can bring me through this. I don't see how you're going to bring me through this, and I'm struggling with unbelief, but in the end, I see you can, and I'm trusting you for it. And that's what Jesus is showing us here. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has the power to heal this man's son from the demon. He is the one who exercises authority. He can. He can. So whatever you're battling in life right now, you bring it to Jesus, and you're saying, I don't know how this is going to work out. And sometimes I'm struggling with unbelief, but I believe that you can, and so I'm just going to walk in belief. I'm going to walk in obedience over and over to you. That's what belief looks like. So third and last, there is this wrap-up with Jesus as he talks to the disciples, and this is about prayer. So the disciples have a question. Remember, they were able to do this before. The disciples are asking the question now in verse 28, why couldn't we cast the demon out? To which Jesus responds by drawing their attention back to himself. Notice he didn't say, now you should have turned to yourself and conjured up more strength. What's the conclusion? Where were they supposed to turn? It says in verse 29, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So the disciples are being called back to God where the power and the strength is. And so you look at this and you can see the only way to come through challenges, the only way to defeat sin is through the power of God. Whatever it is that you are going through this week, know that Jesus can. He is able to bring you through it. As you spend time in prayer, tell him the challenges that you're facing. Tell him that you can't do this on your own strength. If you're talking with friends in your small group, at work, maybe Christians that are plugged into your life outside of this church, ask them to pray with you. Let others in on the issue so that they can pray on your behalf. We've prayed for Luke and Karen, and we heard this week that they arrived. God can. He's able. We've prayed for pregnancies inside this church and health. We've seen that God can. He can bring people through that. We've prayed for God to smash pride in our lives and to help us trust him as we walk in obedience to him. We see that God can, he is able. Tonight we're going to get back together for our evening service where we'll hear more things. God can, he's able. It's what the disciples are learning. It's what this father is learning. We have belief, we have unbelief, but we live by belief. And so as we wrap up this passage, we're, we're going back to this big idea. We believe in Jesus even when unbelief is present. Let's pray.